Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to the Behind the Bits podcast, where my guests and I talk serious about stand-up comedy. I'm Scott Curtis, and I'm glad you're here. We're already to episode 10, and my guest is Jeff Webb from Valparaiso, Indiana. Valparaiso is a city of about 50,000 people. It has a nice college, and it has no comedy club. Jeff decided to do something about that. He started by producing a show at the local theater, and then produced some more shows at a local bar. And the bar holds a little over 100 people. They all sold out. Every show he has done has sold out. So Jeff is proof that if your small city doesn't have a comedy scene, you can make one yourself. We talked about how he did that and more in our interview. So the Behind the Bits podcast has had a surge of listens lately, and I'm welcoming all the new listeners and encourage you to tell your friends. Let's keep growing. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. Give us a review. And then please let me know what you like about the podcast and what you'd like to hear. You can email me at scott at the BTBPC. You can hit me up on Twitter at the BTBPC. And Facebook and Instagram are both Behind the Bits podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. And thank you for listening to the podcast. With no further ado, here's Jeff Webb. Welcome back to the Behind the Bits podcast. I'm still Scott Curtis. And today I've got Jeff Webb from Valparaiso, Indiana. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you doing? Great. First time uh, getting a chance to talk actually yeah yeah we uh we've exchanged a few messages on facebook and i stood you up for a show so you know we've got gotten off to a good start oh absolutely (laughs) and i'm still here yeah (laughs) i appreciate that 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 uh that means a lot to me I remember I came across you um, because I was paying attention for once on Facebook, and I think I saw the very first show that you put on at the Market Lounge, and I believe the post I saw was the one where you said it sold out. And um, then I I reached out to you uh, about possibly doing a show, and then we became Facebook friends and social media and, and, and all that fun stuff but i've been watching you as um as days go by and as you keep doing shows and it seems to be an incredible success every time thank you and uh it's it's been fun yeah yeah you're uh you're doing very well um one of the things i want to i like to ask everybody is you know um what got you interested in comedy so in two words uh and I think you'll you'll kind of get these two words from a lot of people in my generation specifically. But the two words that got me into comedy were Dave Chappelle. Uh-huh. And I mean, you know, growing up, <clears throat> excuse me, growing up, you had, I mean, Chappelle's show, in my opinion, is one of the greatest triumphs in the history of comedy. Uh, probably the greatest sketch show in the history of comedy. So him, all of his stand up specials. um, and in college as well, I got into doing stand-up in college, and I didn't really tell anybody about it. It wasn't uh, it wasn't really a thing that I told people about because, you know, nervous about failure. Yeah. But uh, we did it, ended up getting moderate, moderate to, to slim success doing the whole, you know, reaching out to people, getting booked, and uh, doing shows for other people, getting paid in drink tickets before I was old enough to actually drink. So I paid nothing. <laughs> Um, and I, I got really tired of that eventually and then kind of, kind of sort of switched over to the gear that I'm in now, which is, which is more the promoter host, uh, Avenue, which I, I mean, I still do shows. I'll still do shows occasionally. I'm actually doing a show with Serena Monet working on right now, uh, in Miami uh-huh. and uh, was supposed to go on a little baby tour, but ended up turning that down because we're focusing more on these dinner shows that I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but it's 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 been a fun ride, and I'm. It took a long time, but I can actually say that I'm finally comfortable in my shoes as a an individual who is in the stand up bracket now. Well, that's great. Where did you go to school, Jeff? Uh, so I went to college. I went to high school at Portage at Portage High School. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Portage, and I ended up going to college at Purdue in West Lafayette. Okay. Yeah. 
It's, uh, um, you know, I'm sorry you don't have a comedy attic in, in uh, Lafayette, but uh, uh, that gave you the option to do some uh, mics there, I'm sure. They, do they have a comedy club there? There is not a comedy club in West Lafayette. Okay. I did go down to the comedy attic a couple times, went down to India a couple times. Um, and, and, you know, there'd be open mics around the area. People in the, in the, uh, they were actually in student organizations would put on open mics and, for some reason, college is just a breeding ground for improv groups. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm probably going to get shit for saying this, but I hate improv so much. Um, and it's like the idea of it is it's much harder than doing stand up, right? Well, well, yeah, because you're playing off of other people, right? Yeah, and and that just I, I can't do that because yeah. I've seen so many improv shows that just end up going tits up so quickly. And you end up losing the crowd if you don't, if you, that's, I mean, you know how it goes. If you don't grab a crowd within the first 20 seconds, they're gone. Yeah. And so improv is, is very much so a zero sum game in terms of that. I, uh, I'm steering clear of that. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit different than you in the, I, I like improv, but I've been invited to do it several times and I absolutely do not want to do it. It's terrifying. Yeah. I, I've been I've been on stage. They, they pull me out because it's I've done you know half stand up, half improv shows, and they pull me out, and I'm like, no, why this this isn't working? And we do improv when we're on stage. I mean, everybody has to do crowd work. Sometimes people are drunk and they shout things out, and you have to work with it. Um, that happens a lot at the lounge, but uh, because it's a it's a more of a comedy club vibe, which I really really love about it. But it. It's just the idea of an entire show being solely off of the basis of improv terrifies me to my bone. Yeah. But that's why I kind of stayed away from that and kind of focused more on the stand-up aspect of it. Yeah, and that's I, – I, I can definitely respect that because I just, I, I just can't see myself doing improv. I, I talk to so many comics that say that improv helped them and um, they have stand-up careers now, but I just, I, I, I just don't have it in me. It's a lot, man. I know Dave Lane. I know you're familiar with Dave Lane. He does a lot of improv, and that's primarily his bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, like I said, I, I deeply and entirely respect the people that can make that their main comedic hustle. I don't have. I'm not. I'm not made of that material. Yeah, that's. Uh... It's just rough. Um, so uh, you had Dave Chappelle as a as an influence. Uh, anybody else from your era that uh, really stood out to you? So I mean, it's it's almost like two sides of the same coin. But Neil Brennan is another one. His his uh, creative partner mm-hmm. is another that I absolutely love. Uh, more recently, I, w- I would argue when I when I was in college, John Mulaney is absolutely still killing it and has been killing it. Um, and I always grew up as a child of that weird, zany, late-night shit, like Conan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. I Between Conan O'Brien, Dave Letterman, and honestly, Craig Ferguson, I, I don't, you know, those three right there were just, in my opinion and in my era, the kings of, the like the absolute kings of late-night. I used to stay up late, and I would watch Conan. I would flip between Conan and... Um, Dave Letterman, and then stay up even later and watch Craig Ferguson, and and those guys. And that I there's an aspect of stand up in what they do too, because they have to do that monologue every single night that's written every single day for them. Uh, and obviously they have parts to do with it too. But those were also big influences. I love the fact that Conan would put on a show that looked exactly like what a normal late night talk show should look like. But once you get into it a little bit deeper, it's definitely out of the normal. And I always loved that. Like I said, those three were definitely the biggest influences in addition to that Neil Brennan and Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Conan's a nut. I, uh, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you, but I grew up with Letterman too because he was around for so long. I, I I actually remember the morning show he had. So that's, uh, that's how far back I go. And when he started late night, I, um, I was the same as you. I was, I was in, uh, I think high school and I just stayed up every night and watched it because our, our VCR never recorded properly. And so I just right. stay up and watch it every night. And it was, it was just so 
out there. And I guess the thing I liked him is that he just kind of thumbed his nose at convention, you know, uh, and the fact that, uh, okay, a show is supposed to be like Johnny Carson, but I'm not going to do that. And, um, you're a big star. I don't care. And I, that, that was a big thing that rubbed off on me. I mean, we had our Johnny Carson, you know, we, we had Johnny Carson. We don't need another Johnny Carson. Right. I think, like you said, he, he made that his own. And there's a reason that he's still doing it. What? Almost 30 years later. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's definitely on that Mount Rushmore of late night hosts, in my opinion. Right. So thinking about when you, when you started doing the, uh, the mics and not telling anybody about it and the, which is absolutely fantastic i wish that i hadn't told anybody about my early sets because um a lot of them won't ever come out again so (laughs) but uh when you think about doing that um how did at what point did you start feeling like hey i might be okay at this and i might get a good five ten minutes and i may be able to build on that so I ended up stopping doing stand-up for about three, two, three years, and I did not come back to it until literally January of last year. Okay. So I, I left. I didn't do any stand-up. I, I did none of it. I ended up changing careers, and it ended up being something that you know. I ended up. I, I worked for uh, as a news producer for NBC for a while. I worked uh, as a teacher for a while. I worked as. Uh, under in Pete Bisglaski, our, our uh, congressman staff, and these jobs aren't really good for people that want to go on stage and tell stories about their dick. And <laughs> so I ended up waiting until I changed my career again and then went past that. And eventually I was like, you know what? Life is too short. I want to do this. I'm going to go back into it. I'm going to go back into it with a vengeance and we're going to just make it happen. And it wasn't until I came back to it in January of last year that I started telling people and in a big way, I'm like, Hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing it different than I did last time. We're going to make it a coalition. We're going to, we're going to build a brand. We're going to do what we can to make this a thing for not just me, but for people around me. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like stepping away from it for a little bit and getting the work experience that you had, obviously you had some responsibility. Um, Do you feel like you're a little bit more comfortable doing it and you've got a little bit more confidence and you kind of understand it almost from a business perspective a hundred percent and i i'm really glad that that happened for a couple reasons every reason that you just said i feel more confident i feel more capable um the laughs are definitely a lot better than they were when i first uh my first trip around Mm -hmm. um but beyond that it's like you watch these younger guys and I'm sure you see it too. You watch these younger guys that like, they are definitely putting the buggy before the horse. They're like, okay, you know, I've done five open mics. I'm going to do a podcast now. Yeah. I've been booked <laughs> on three shows. I'm going to make t-shirts now. Um, <laughs> I've done, I've got, I got my first pay, my first payday. Somebody gave me a $20 bill for doing a 10 minute set. I better make a, a stand-up comedy Facebook page now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like these, you know what it, it it kind of reminds me of it kind of reminds me of if a singular stand-up comedian was a pyramid scheme. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like there's like, come on, all my friends and family like the page. And it's just, it's just incestuous. And yeah. I'm glad that I got past that and kind of took the ego out of it. And I think that's the one piece of advice that I would give every single person that's either been doing it or is trying to get into it now is just dude, try to take your ego out of it. Like I don't, when I market these shows, I don't put my name front and center in every single one of these shows like a lot of people do mm-hmm. because I'm sorry, booking comedians does not make you a good comedian. I don't care how big they are or how big they were uh, booking a big name or a small name or putting a show together that's successful does not make you a good comedian. Um, and a lot of people need to realize that. Right. I, uh, I, it's, it's so funny that, uh, the way you talked about, you know, the, the open micers and how they, how, how they put the cart before the horse. I, I, 
seen so many that, and, and I, I know it's ego that they just, uh, they will not let go of a bit and, and the bit's not going to work. Um, they can say it a hundred different ways and it's not going to work and they won't purge it. And, um, that's, I, that's one of the things that I, I wish I could talk to them and say, Hey, you know, this, this isn't going to work for you ever. Um, but then I just piss them off and I wouldn't have a friend anymore. So, and you know what? I, I wish that I wish that you could. And I, I try to, I try to skate around doing that to the people that come, but God, just in general, people that hold on to bits. And I've noticed that people get so comfortable around here, especially like within, you know, the Northwest Indiana, Chicago, I'm sure where you are out uh, a little bit further East, it's the same situation. These people, a lot of them just don't write too. Mm-hmm. It becomes hard for, cause I know you book shows and how hard is it for you specifically that you've noticed this? Like you really like a comedian. You'd like to book them, you know, three months down the road, but your shows are popular. There's a, a there's not a lot of turnover. So you're going to get a good percentage of people that come back to see new material. And then, you know, three, four, five, six months later, they're still doing the exact same bit. It's like they haven't written anything new. Right. And I, I, I can honestly say, like, I, I definitely take pride in that comedic aspect of what I do. And what I've seen, I write more than most people that are around this area. And I'm doing new things because when you're a host, you get a large percentage of people that come back because they like the shows. And you know, I heard a quote once. Bruce Springsteen can go on stage and play Born to Run for the next 30 years of him being an artist. But if a comedian goes on stage and tells the same joke, they're going to get raw vegetables thrown at them. Yep. Yep, and for sure. I wish. Yeah, man. It's a lot of uh, like just just write more. I promise you, you could do you could do better mm-hmm. moving forward, you know. Um, so let's let's talk about the writing a little bit. Do you have a uh, schedule or do, what? What's your writing process? So my writing process uh, consists of me usually enjoying uh, the devil's lettuce at about two in the morning, <laughs> laying down to fall asleep, having come within about an inch away of actually falling asleep around four in the morning thinking of something that I find very funny, waking up, writing it down, writing the entirety of it down and coming up with a bit, and then finally falling asleep around five in the morning. So usually <laughs> it's not something that I sit down and I force myself to go through some kind of creative stream of consciousness. It's just, I think of something before I go to bed, I have to write it down or I'll forget it before I wake up. Mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, it's not more complicated than that, if I'm being honest. Right. Um, so do you do, um, like the, uh, the standard first draft and, uh, then work from the punchline back to get it tight or how, what, what do you do with it once you get a premise down? So my style of comedy is very much so storytelling. It's, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that, that it's not shocking considering my, my greatest influence is Dave Chappelle. Right. I think Dave Chappelle is the greatest storyteller of our generation and, so I will basically think of a story that some kind of crazy shit or fun things happen. I will write down the entirety of it and then kind of put in the punchlines throughout it. And I, I think that there are a couple different kinds of com- uh, comedians. You get your standard people that just, you get your jokes like your ha 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 mm-hmm. ha So you get those people that are getting the little jokes in and then you get the big joke at the end of it for the punchline. Whereas me, it's you kind of build like the laughs build throughout the entirety of the joke. And then at the very end, you get the best punchline at the very end. Mm. And I like that a little bit better because it keeps the audience interest. They're waiting for the end of it. They're waiting because they know that you're leading towards something. Mm. Um, Harder to do. Um, I do. I've done some stories and uh, it's, it's hard to do it right because if you mess up one part of it, then all of it's gone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's, it's hard to come back from a botched story because it's just one linear string and you can't cut the string if you're only three quarters of the way through. Yeah. I, uh, I'm in a lot of different, uh, writing groups, uh, Facebook and Reddit and stuff like that. And the question, uh, people write the whole, 
joke down and say, how can I make this better? And my reply is always, you have to say it out loud in front of an audience because yeah. you're not, you're not going to know where the laughs are and you have to record yourself and know exactly where the laughs are, know how long it is and understand what you can purge what you can what you need to keep what you need to build on it's you can write it down and people can say eh, this doesn't sound funny but they don't know what motions you're making on stage what what your face looks like you know it, it, there's so many things in your presentation that nobody knows about right and so i don't do very many things uh, in terms of my comedy, very um, traditionally, like a lot of people, when they write a new bit, uh, like you, I think you know Keegan Dameron, right? Yep. Keegan Dameron, sorry. Uh, Keegan is very much so in that vein of people that will write a bit down and then just work the hell out of it. He will go to mics. He will do everything that he can to make sure that that bit is properly polished, shined, and he'll do it on stage five or six times before he takes it in front of a paid audience. Mm -hmm. And I can't do that. I respect <laughs> the people that do that. But every time I go to a mic, you, you know, the mic crowd, it's the people that are in an open mic crowd are not coming to laugh. They're coming to do their own things and they don't really care about you. Mm -hmm. So when you don't get the response that you want, sometimes you're getting mixed messages and you end up walking off stage thinking, Oh my God, was that bit that terrible? I thought it was good. <laughs> and then like, like this, there are several times cause I'm, I'm both slightly not, I will say confident. I'm confident. And I also have a feeling at this point that I just know what's going to work and not, not everybody has that sense of, of, of knowing through, through either formula or, just experience what's going to work. And I, so I don't go to open mics. I refuse because there have been several times where just to test it out, like I did, I did an open mic at the Laugh Factory in Chicago once. And I did a story about a prostate exam that I ended up having to have. Mm. And it, I got a, a mild, lukewarm reaction. And I ended up not being happy about that. But then, you know, the person that I ended up going with, she was like, no, that, that bit's fantastic. You need to take that joke. You need to do it in front of a paid audience. I assure you it was funny. And I was really nervous about it, but I took it in front of a paid audience and it killed. It was the best bit of any comic of any bit that night. So it's just weird how that works. But you also have to take into account the environment that you're in when you're doing things like that, right? Right. I, I, I'm a little different than you and I've, uh, just recently gotten, uh, really freaked out because I'm doing this, uh, funniest person in Grand Rapids, uh, show, um, nice. contest and that's, uh, Wednesday of this week. Excellent. So, so I, I got, uh, I guess a little self-conscious about my, about my stuff. I had done a, a show in Goshen and everything killed. And I thought that I knew that's what I was going to take with me to Grand Rapids. And then I, I did, um, the open mic in South Bend and, uh, second guess myself a little bit. So I said, I, I gotta, I gotta get out of town and do some mics. So I did one in Kalamazoo last Wednesday, which is an hour and a half away. And last night I went to Grand Rapids, which is two hours away, and did right. an open mic in a bowling alley. Uh, nice. <laughs> and, and strike out. Well, no, it actually it went okay. I, you know, I had a couple comics at the uh, Kalamazoo mic say, "Hey, you're pretty good," but it was it was my wife and like two other audience members and um, kind of a sketchy bar, and it was. Uh, you know, it was not worth driving an hour and a half for for me. And then last night, there there was probably sixty people in the audience, and uh, you know, I got I got stuff back from them. But you know, the guy that was booking it says, "Well, you're a new comic, so you only got get five minutes." And so I drove two hours for five minutes, and I stretched it to six because he. Um, got distracted and didn't give me the light. Um, and you know, it was good. I, I was glad I, I made some changes and stuff like that, but, um, I'm probably not going to do a lot more of that because all it does for me is, um, 
makes me uh, tired because I uh, I lose sleep. <laughs> right. I mean, open mics just in general cause stress. And I, I had one. I've only done one open mic at the lounge. Uh, I would like to do more of them just because I'd like to see more people that are able to come and show their stuff. And I try to give them more. You know, it's a, I, I, the thing that I love most about that location is that everything that we do there is very laid back. And I love trying to just even if even if it's not great i want them to know that whatever the good parts that they do are right Mm -hmm. and like one of my favorite things about running the last the lounge show is watching people that have not performed in front of crowds that size perform in front of crowds that size typically kill and get that deserved boost of confidence Mm -hmm. uh, i'll give you an example there are two people in particular that are coming to my mind right now uh, one of his, I don't, you probably know it, one or both of them, uh, Billy Dodaro and uh, Michael Banks. They're both relatively new uh, to the Chicagoland, Northwest Indiana comedy scene. And neither of them had performed in, in front of very large crowds. And Michael Banks, I had him booked and I, he did one of the last of the lounge shows. He did a, a, he did a fine job. He did okay. I, we talked about it. There were a couple of things I thought he, thought he could have done better. There were a couple of things that he thought that he could have done better. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you, let's, let's do it again. You, you work on these polished things. Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. And I was tasked with booking a benefit show for the Valparaiso police department, canine uh, department. And it was a show in front of about 250 people. And Mike was the first, I'm sorry, Mike, Mike was the second comedian uh, behind Dean Jernigan, who <laughs> you you definitely know, yeah, uh, and he went up there, and I'm I'm totally and completely comfortable with saying that Michael Banks had the best set of his life that night. He absolutely slaughtered, like he was floating on a cloud. Uh-huh. And Billy Dodaro was the same thing. We had uh, the most recent last of the lounge show is uh, we're we're recording this today is Monday the twenty fourth, right? Mm-hmm. The show was on Saturday, the 22nd, and he was the first up there. It was Billy Dadar was the first up there, and you could tell he was nervous. He was like, this is definitely the biggest crowd I've ever performed in front of. <laughs> Billy slaughtered that crowd. Like He got away with murder in front of 100 and, it was like 110 people in that room. Uh-huh. And I came up to him afterwards, and I always tell people, I always preface it by saying, I don't mean this to sound condescending or patronizing in any way but I want you to know that I'm extremely proud of you because, oh my God, you killed it. And that for me is the most fun thing. Right. Getting to watch those people just freaking kill it in front of those larger crowds. Yeah. I, I, I don't know Billy, but I know Michael. He, he actually did a, a one of my shows that uh, I uh, do Thursday nights at vegetable buddy sometimes. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I got to know him because he comes to the drop open mic once in a while. And I, um, when I see, when I see somebody that looks kind of interesting, I always introduce myself and I, I don't like push myself. I just say, Hey, I'm Scott. If you need to know anything, let me know. And, uh, I had introduced myself to him and, uh, turned out it was his dad that was with him that night. And I asked him if he'd be part of, part of a bit. Um, and I, I've since axed that bit, but, um, we did that. So we, we started, um, talking and and he is definitely and i know what you're talking about because when you do an open mic like that or you do um a showcase show um you find those diamonds in the rough and you can you can kind of help them you can uh uh because once you put them on a show then they're going to listen to you a little bit more and dean jernigan i mean Holy cow! He, you know, I turned turned you on to him, and he's that diamond in the rough for me. And just good guy, man. Yeah, <laughs> he's a powerhouse. He is. He's he's again like he he did a last alone show, did great. He was on that canine fundraiser, uh, did great. I think both of them, uh, the, the canine fundraiser, I think for Dean definitely for sure was his biggest crowd, and uh, he was a little nervous going up there because it was a. Well, I mean, you got to think of your demographic. Who are the kind of people that are going to pay for a ticket to a police fundraiser, right? Mm-hmm. So that was definitely a worry for all of us going into that show, but it ended up going really great. And for some reason, I, I make fun of Valpo all the time for being a for being an extremely white, stuck-up demographic. But man, 
every single show that I put on at the market, those people come to have a good time. Going back to, uh, I hate to keep backing up, but uh, you, you were talking about uh, the audience that you're talking to at the market lounge and for the benefit and things like that. So in your particular act, you know, what, what kind of point of view do you put across? Cause obviously you, you just told me that, um, you're smoking weed at night and getting your ideas. Um, you, you've obviously got some, um, uh, different millennial type ideas than probably most of your audience. So what do you do out there? So, I try to be as relatable as I can. So, so for instance, the 22nd I did, so we had four, we had four booked comedians and I hosted and I always, my formula is, you know, I have four comedians. So three features and a headliner, I'm going to go up, I'm going to do the longest set that I'm going to do before the first, I'm going to do another five to seven before the second, I'm going to do another five to seven before the third, I go on stage before the headliner, I do my thank yous. Um, I make sure I tell people when they're cashing out to tip the shit out of the bartenders. Uh, I, you know, I thank you. Thank you to the owner. Thank you to everybody coming tonight. Make them clap for me. So I get my ego pump. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But I don't do, I don't do any comedy before the headliner. And I don't go back on stage after the headliner because I like them to have the respect of being that, that last, you know, that's your, that's your ultimate, that's your peak. That's where it ends. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, in terms of, the three bits that I did this past Saturday, I did a bit that I recently just finished. It was basically just a story about a Valentine's Day that I had two years ago with a girl that I've been seeing for only two weeks. And uh, I joked about it, interjected a comment about how um, my dick is basically a match and I can go basically once, but I'll go as long as you want me to. So long as you <laughs> a snack break at a certain point. Um <laughs> And then at the end of it, basically, the, the punchline was, you know, she made me have sex for the fourth time that night when I pulled out the condom was still inside of her. <laughs> um, and fortunately for her, she was able to get one more final Valentine's Day gift, which was a plan B pill. Um, <laughs> so and like, you know, I feel like that was relatable. The next story was actually it wasn't even a story. The next bit was me talking about an inc- incident that happened at the previous last the lounge where Dwight Simmons uh, was headlining and we had a heckler try to ask him a question in the middle of his set (laughs) and she was trashed. And then at the end of it, she ended up asking him if he could do anything, not racial, or if he wasn't able to do anything, if it didn't involve race. Uh And I was just, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, Jesus, what do I do at this point? But to Valpo's credit, that crowd turned on that, that woman, they started booing her. Uh, somebody stood up and screamed, get the fuck out. Oh. It, it got crazy. They went off on her, which was awesome. So I told that story. And then the final bit was uh, just a story about how I accidentally got my mom too high on Christmas Day to finish cooking for the whole family. <laughs> um, so most of the stories are relatable. It's not like I'm going up there and being like, oh, man, so my fidget spinner broke today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, I, I try to keep the stories relatable and, and, you know, everybody, everybody at a certain point in time has probably had to deal with condom issues. Um, everybody has dealt with some kind of crazy thing with their family. And I, I, like I said, the stories that I tell, I try to keep relatable, you know, prostate bit, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I, I try to make sure that it's accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I'm, I'm the same way. And I find that, uh, uh, obviously I'm 55. My, my age crowds, um, actually respond pretty well to me, but if you go back about 10 or 15 years, I think they respond better. And then the younger crowds actually respond when I start using young terminology like uh, shorty or boo or, um, uh, haters and stuff like that they just think that's funny um so there's ways to relate to everybody exactly and like again going back to like young comedians and people that are just getting into this it's it sucks to see so many people that have the mentality that well 
I'm the comedian. You should just be, you should come to me. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you have to play for your audience. You have to know what you're looking for in order to get other people to laugh. It's not, not all about you, man. Yeah. And, uh, entertainment is for the paying customer, not for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. And people, you know, I, I notice young comics who take on a very pointed and sometimes controversial point of view in their act early on. And I don't know how you can ever be successful at that. Right. Because you're skating on a razor's edge and you're basically expected to stay balanced on that razor's edge because that's the that's the precedent you're setting for yourself right yeah. um and that and you know you see it all the time the people that do the extremely extremely vulgar things or um borderline racist things just to get reactions from people it's like you know if you need to if you need to be a dick and your quote-unquote persona is, I'm an asshole, uh, just to get over, stop. Mm-hmm. Like, stop doing what you're doing. Nobody's going to like you. You're going to end up pissing off somebody or multiple people, and you'll end up ruining any good faith that you have in the community. Yeah. And you see it. And I, there are a couple people that come to mind, obviously I won't name names, um, that, that do that and continue to do that and are doing that to this day. Yeah. It's good. It's a self-awareness thing, I think. And uh, some people just don't have it. I, one of the things I point to when folks are like that is, you know, I ask, I ask them to um, look at George Carlin's like first three albums and then compare it to his last three and totally different stuff. And he, he was able to mold himself into that because he was so popular based on the earlier stuff, then he could start bringing out more of his, his anger at the world. Right. Absolutely. And be successful at it. Absolutely. And I think, like you said, but he solidified that base, right? Yep. He solidified that base and... Uh, he solidified himself as being somebody that's not that fringe person so that he could take those occasional trips to the, to the edge. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why he's respected and considered one of the greats. Right. Right. So I really want to take a little bit of a deep dive into the shows that you're putting on at the market lounge there for, sure. let, let's, let's talk about the first one, uh, how did you, um, first of all, come about, um, wanting to do it there? Um, what did you do to promote? Who did you get to perform? You know, how, how did all that work out for you? So I ended up actually getting a job at the market and the market's a large, it's a larger complex. You know, they, they use it for larger entertainment, um, performances that, you know, weddings, banquets, larger corporate events, things like that. And then also there's the lounge, uh, which was opened in a space that was largely unused the majority of the time. And uh, the person that started managing that bar, his name's Tyler Ingram, and was like set a precedent and set the stage for a really, really tremendous space, uh, regardless of what goes in there. And then I ended up started actually working there. And I went to the owner and I was like, hey, man, uh, I think this would be a prime spot to do a comedy show. It's a really, it's a really relaxed um, feel in here. I think that if we set this up and put cocktails out with the stage here, we could actually give this a very, very familiar comedy club style feel. And the owner, whose name is Jason Rudy, uh, was all about it because if there's one thing I could say about that man is he is not afraid to take risks. He is not afraid to do something if it sounds cool. Mm-hmm. And I love him for it. So we did the first show, if I'm not mistaken, back in August. And I'm trying to remember everybody that I had on that show. And I'm starting to not remember all of the people that were on it. I know that the headliner for sure was Rebecca Gibson. Mm -hmm. Uh, The headliner was Rebecca Gibson. I know Chris Trani and Tucker Brookshire, all three from Chicago, were there for that show. Um, And... There were two more, and the fact that I cannot remember 
them right now makes me feel very bad. However, everyone did a great job, but it was a great learning experience for me. The, the room was set. The room was spectacular. Valpo doesn't really have a lot of stand-up comedy. And so we were able to interject that into the entertainment atmosphere of Valpo. And, you know, market in general, having a following didn't hurt. I'm not going to take all the credit for that. Market has, you know, a following in general for the events that they put on. Mm -hmm. So I organized this. And one of the first learning experiences that I took from from it, um, Aaron Hugger was also on that show. I just remembered that, uh, was don't do a total of five comedians and yourself. You know, there's a certain, you know, the sweet spot. Yeah. You can't go too long. Otherwise, people stop losing interest. And I... Don't want to say that that I, I regret. I regret having as many comics as I did that night because fewer people were interested in the headliners act because they were exhausted by the end of the night. Yeah, and uh, I feel bad because Rebecca Gibson is hilarious. It was uh, she. She was still hilarious that night. Everybody to this day tells me that she's fantastic and we want her back. Um, but that was a learning experience. And then we moved on, and it was four comics in total plus myself hosting. And that formula has worked tremendously well. Um, but it, it's just it's just one of those things, too, where the first show did do well. People did have a good time. And we probably had uh, um, a retention rate, if you will, of at least 40 to 50 percent of people. I'm willing to bet 40 to 50 percent of people bought tickets to that next show. Um, and it was... It was it was good. And going forward, we did so we did August and we did October. And those are the only two shows that we did last year. And then I told I told the owner and discussed it with Tyler. And I was like, this is the deal. My goal this year is to put on one comedy show in the lounge every month this year. And we're on pace to do that. We already have them scheduled. We're not, you know, obviously not going to release tickets or announce those shows until about a month before each show. Mm -hmm. But you know, just to show the the growth as this things happen, I we sold out the January show, and I, I don't remember the exact time frame we sold out the January show, but we started selling tickets for the February show the day after the January show, and tickets for the February show sold out in six and a half days. Wow! So it's you know. I'm I'm trying so hard not to be extremely cocky about all of this, but it does feel great. Yeah, and you should you you should be proud. Um, how how big of a city is Valpo? Valpo, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around fifty thousand, sixty thousand people. Okay, and you've got uh, so the university. Uh, the university, it's it's a, a it's a wealthier demographic, I would say. Oh yeah, my son got accepted to Valpo, and uh, I sent him to IU. So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> don't, don't blame you at all, though. You got one year of tuition at VU is roughly four years at a public college. Yeah, I, I just saw I saw the bottom line there. Oh, come on. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I, it's it is it's like that, and the shows have been spectacular. People have a good time, and that's what it comes down to. Is we set the tone of the show very early. I go on stage and I set the tone very early, um, even if. You know, there, there, there are some bits that I will do that may not be as funny if I'm not doing them. And that just goes for any comedian stuff. But I'm, I'm confident enough at this point in doing stand-up that I'm able to relate to the crowd like, hey, you, like, you should laugh now. This shit's funny. <laughs> I, I'm confident enough to where they know and the way that I say things and the way that things are said at the beginning, like, this shit's funny. You're going to want to laugh at this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you set the tone like, you're here to laugh. You're here to have a good time. Don't be a prude. People are going to say dirty words. People are going to talk about dirty things. Just drink your drink and laugh. And mm. they end up doing it. They're, they're, if you suggest that to people, they'll end up doing it. That's cool. Um, so having been out of the game uh, for a couple, three years, how did you make connections with uh, the folks that you've had on so far? Uh, I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. A large part of that at the very beginning was Keegan Damron. Mm. Uh, he, you know, the man has his finger on the pulse of the scene and cares about it. He's actually trying to, he's running a campaign to be an elected official right now. So he's kind of taken a step back from stand up. Mm. Um, 
But, you know, that first show that I ended up coming back to that we did at the Hobart Art Theater in January of last year, um, that show, I remember that was a big show and that was a big deal for me. It was myself, Kevin Kellum and Rebecca Gibson of Chicago, Keegan Dameron and Shannon Rostin. And we ended up we ended up hitting it off. I mean, we did several shows. We did another did another show with that exact same lineup in June at the Hobart Art Theater. We took that exact same lineup and we did the last stand-up comedy show at Indiana Beach uh, last summer. Uh, rest in peace. But uh, hey, maybe they'll save it. Fingers crossed, man. I love that place. I would love to put on another show. We ended that. That was a lot of fun. Um, that was a lot of fun. We ended up doing a, a show at the Roof Garden Lounge at Indiana Beach, overlooking the lake. Um, and man, we had a blast, and we made a we made good money there. And, but yeah, so I ended up making connections through that. And at a certain point, it's kind of funny when you first start off, everything is much harder. Like open mics are harder. Being an opener is harder. When you are playing in front of a smaller crowd, it is harder. When you're later in the show, when you're playing in front of a bigger crowd, it's a lot easier to get the last because they're already drunk and there's enough sample size to where people are going to respond favorably to the stuff that you're putting out there. Yeah. Um, but as time's going on, I've, I've put on these these shows in Valpo. Uh, the word has spread about them, and nowadays people reach out to me, um, and and they'll send videos. And I mean, you like you yourself, you sent a video, and you know, not to not to be a dick, but I definitely have tried to have you on twice now. <laughs> <laughs> third time's a charm, baby. Third time's the charm, I guess. Scott. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, and it's it's things have worked out well like that. And I, I, the way that things are going is spectacular. We're, we're as a, I'll be as uh, coy as I can. There's even a couple other things in the work to try and get uh, something a little bit more permanent and full time in Valparaiso. And that's pretty much all I can say about that. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely stay tuned. So being like a 50,000 uh, population town, you know, People love comedy no matter where you're at, um, but people aren't going to drive an hour and a half or two hours to see comedy. Right. So if you find that spot, uh, you have to have a decent location. You got to mm-hmm. get some decent comics and build a reputation. And then um, it just seems like that is a perfect spot for comedy and and so many so many people you know i i i look at my demographics on who listen to this podca- podcast and it's just all over the country and a lot of uh very rural areas and i know it's people who they might know one comic and they they want to put on a show and sometimes that's the only way you're going to get a show is if you if you do it yourself and obviously you have shown that it can be successful in a a a pretty small city and um and you can uh not only be successful but get the repeat business that uh keeps it going and i think a lot of it has to do with production value too right like first off you, you have to have your good you have to have your good lineup and there are people that I trust, and and I'm not just going to go off videos, and I'm not just going to go off of clips that people send me, because those are very obviously pointed, edited, and purposefully sent to show the bright sides of people, right? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to show the good. So that's where it comes in to have the, the friends and the people that do this that you trust and get that second opinion. Like, hey, you know, tell me about this person. Are they funny? You think they could do? What's the most you think they're comfortable enough doing? And can they carry a five to 10 minute set? Can they carry a 10 minute set? So you do that. And that's, that's the first fundamental block. But I think also, like I said, production value, like I was booked on a show once and I showed up and the showrunner was like, it was, a, it was their first show. It was his first show. And he was like, we do this show. And he was a friend. So I said, yes, of course, not even thinking about pay or anything like that. And I showed up and there was nothing set up. There was there was a background. Uh, there was a staging. I was like, cool, where's your PA? He says, well, we don't, we don't, you know, I, I didn't even consider that. I thought that we'd be able to use the PA here, the karaoke machine, but it's not working. <laughs> I was like, okay, where's your lighting? And he says, oh, yeah, uh, we definitely need that. 
So like I made a call last minute and I, I brought in a PA system for him. I brought him a lighting, you know, a lighting rig for him. And you don't like, that's the thing you you're able to get that repeat business because people think that it's an event. And I was just talking to the owner of the market the other day about this. I was like, you know, cause he laughs at me because I wear a suit every time I host this show and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I'm crazy, but I wear a suit and usually a Hawaiian shirt with no tie under the suit. So, mm-hmm. um, and he, he joked with me, he said, you know, I'm surprised, you know, you always look really good for these shows. I'm surprised you're not the kind of person that would wear sneakers with a suit. I'm like, you know, uh, I want people to feel like this is an event. I don't want them to think, you know, I'm going to a bar to hear a shitty bar band play Welcome to the Jungle for the four millionth time. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, this is an event. This is a place that you want to be. We care about this. We want you to feel as though you're at something that matters. So the production value is great. Uh, make sure that the music and the intro is great. Make sure we have that place looking like a, a, a stand-up comedy club. Like there are candles on the tables, there are stanchions around the bar, um, and the lighting rig is perfect. The the sound for the PA is perfect. And, and those are the things, the stupid, not stupid, but the minor minute details make all the difference in the world to get that repeat business when people think that it's an event. Yeah. You, the, the people who come in, they feel like they're being appreciated. Absolutely. And they should feel like that. And you know what? It's, it's a partnership too, right? Like I have a, a great partnership with the owner of market and these people are being charged $10 a ticket to come in and see five comedians over the course of two hours in a really nice environment in a room that is built to look like a stand-up comedy club, like a bona fide stand-up comedy club. And they're willing to spend, you know, if you, you go out and you think, okay, you know what? I spent $10 on a ticket. I don't mind spending $30 at the bar. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful two-way street because the bar and market is making their money. And not only that, they're getting drunk. So they enjoy the show a little bit better when we're on stage. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a good formula. And it's also an attitude, not just the look. I, I went to a show a couple years ago. Um, just, I think it was in Schaumburg. Um, and it was, it was one like a laugh factory or something like that. It's, it's one of the bigger franchise comedy places. Is it riddles? Uh, no, it didn't start with an R. It's, comedy shrine. Could be, could be. Okay. But it was a fairly large um, venue, uh, probably 250, I think it could hold. And they had three comics. One of the guys was on uh, uh, whatever that show is where they do talent stuff, and Howard Stern was on it. Uh, America's Got Talent? Yeah, I just don't watch TV. But anyway, he was on it. And um, the the waitstaff didn't care the guy who came out and um did the emceeing he didn't care the comics didn't i I don't think i laughed once that night right and i was like this is awful no nobody wanted to be there and i think it was like a holiday weekend or something like that so nobody wanted to be there it was like labor day or something and um they showed it and the the audience didn't didn't care either because they didn't get very many laughs and that you know that's the thing too is that you have to show a sense of ownership about these things like laughs at the lounge is my baby like that is i care about that show more than any other show set or venue that I have ever performed honor in. It is the thing that I, I give all of my attention to, um, you know, the, the bookers at the Hobart art, you know, we, we did the, the last forgettable night at Hobart art December. We had a good showing. It was a good time. Um, trying to remember who was on that show it was Bobby Wright, Ashley Lusk, Keegan and Kevin Kellum were on that show and myself, obviously. And, I, I knew that it was the last show and they'd asked me, they were like, do you want to get another one on the books? Let's have you in here. Let's do another one in the spring. And I made it the final forgettable night because I am that focused on laughs at the lounge. I'm that focused on what happens at the market lounge. We mm-hmm. want to keep getting better. And we like the capacity that we're at right now, because if it gets too big, then it becomes 
harder to handle, but I love that, you know, 100 to 110 max capacity in this space um, crowd. And it, it's, I care more about the, the quality of it. And people are always telling me, they're like, $10 for this ticket. Why don't you raise the price of the ticket? You know, a lot of places are doing like $15, $20. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of places are doing $15, $20. But, you know, I would rather have it be accessible to more people um, so they come out, see what it's like, and then want to keep coming back. Because it's consistent at this point. People know what to expect. People know that if you want to do a show, if you want to go to a stand-up comedy show in Valparaiso, this is the only one that you should be going to. Mm-hmm. And if you if you do my my particular view is if I do a twenty dollar cover and there's a two drink minimum, I get two drinks. If it's a ten dollar cover, I drink all night. And exactly, I always spend more, but it's just the thought of it. Exactly, I couldn't agree more. And it that. That mentality benefits the comedians as much as it does the bar. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the bookers uh, around the area, a lot of people that try to run shows really don't have that mentality because they're all about what they can make and they're all about how little they can pay their comedians, which is another thing I'm really proud of. Like we, We've talked about this before. I'm not, not to name specific, uh, <laughs> specific numbers because I don't want emails from 50,000 comedians across the country uh, <laughs> hearing this, but I mean, we, you know, we pay features better than most clubs in Chicago pay features. Mm-hmm. Uh, your headliner is going to make really good money. Um, and pe- it's worth it for people. It's worth it for comedians to come from, you know, Chicago. We've had someone from Milwaukee, from uh, the upper peninsula in uh, Michigan come down and it's worth it mm-hmm. for them to come to these shows because they're going to get paid. They're going to get laughs. They're going to get good experience and it's going to be a good time for them. Right. I don't want to pump you up too much, but after uh, Dean did the uh, show at the Market Lounge, uh, he always leaves me voice messages on Messenger and instead of typing. And there was, I, I swear there was like 14 in a row. Um, he's like, I can't believe you got me on this show. This is the best show I've ever been on. Jeff treats everybody like royalty. Um, I, I just absolutely loved it. And holy cow, you're the best person for hooking me up with Jeff. <laughs> so. Well, I appreciate it. And you know, no Dean, Dean deserves all the respect and adoration and admiration in the world because that's a, he's a funny guy. Uh, I know when I, you were booked for, it was the first time. Was it, was it the January show? Uh, no, I think it was the, it was the show after that. Okay, yeah, because he was, yeah, he was going to be on, and or no, you were, you were going to be booked for that show. Yeah, and uh, I think you were surprised with a vacation from your family. Yeah, um, my grandson took precedence. <laughs> absolutely, family comes first. I yeah. completely understand it, man. And you were like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to give you this guy. I like him. I trust him. I think he's funny. And it was a last minute thing, so I really didn't have a minute to vet him. So I, I probably gave him the shittiest introduction he'll ever get. Yeah, and then just saying, I was like, well. Uh, so this guy was a villain. Uh, I don't know if he's funny, but let's hope he is. We're going to find out together. <laughs> and he goes on stage and, uh, I introduced him from the wrong city and <laughs> he still, he went up there, killed it. And I apologized. And I think to make up for it is another reason that I asked him to come and do the, uh, um, the, the canine fundraiser. But Dean is hilarious. He's a funny guy. He's confident in what he does. Even if he's not actually confident, it looks like he's confident. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference right there. Um, and I was really, I was like, he will be booked again. And I, I, I love him. He's a, he's a great guy. Yeah. I, I'm just, I, I, I just want to, uh, I, I want him to succeed. I told him, you know, if, if he totally succeeds, just put me in your entourage and I'll be good with that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I, I push him in directions, you know, every time I hear of anything going on, um, I just say, go that way because I, I, I'm not doing, I love to perform, but, um, I'm not doing it for the money. I don't need it. And I don't, I don't want to travel or anything like that. I just, I just, it's my midlife crisis, but anytime I can help somebody, that's, that's when I feel like I'm doing well. Well, you know, I wouldn't even accredit that mentality to, to your quote unquote midlife crisis. I, (laughs) I don't, you know, it sucks to be the person that 
comes into a foreign place and is basically a paid gun and goes on stage at somebody else's show. It sucks to be that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized, you know, I thought that was what I wanted to do. I was like, oh yeah, I want to be a touring stand-up comic. I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't want that. I want to be the guy that puts on the shows and I want to be the guy that, you know what? I might see the same audience uh, X amount of times a year and I'm fine with that because that that means that they respect me and trust me enough to put on a good show repeatedly. It makes it more difficult because I cannot do uh, the same bits over and over and over again like a lot of comedians around here do. But, you know, I have more fun doing it. I have more control over it. And I'm able to give a level of quality control that people are able to, to respect and appreciate. Right. And, and you get to live a pretty decent quality of life, too. That's a, that's a big thing. Right. Nobody, you know, I'm doing a couple, like I said, doing that show with Serena, uh, doing a couple things around that I get to travel this year. And I'm, I'm not taking that for granted, nor do I don't appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun, but I'm basically going to break even on those shows. And it's a free vacation and that's cool, mm-hmm. but that's not why you do things. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, I get to pay my mortgage in March with money just from stand-up comedy. And that from this from this last month and that's mm-hmm. never happened before and i'm I, I think it's just the fruits of, of putting in a lot of effort into it right that's that's great um talking about the shows that you're doing since uh hopefully some people in the valpo area will be listening to this do you do you have some shows coming up that you can talk about yes actually we have uh four that are, we're doing something interesting uh, in march at the market lounge we are uh, putting Laughs the Lounge on a short hiatus. We're going to come back to it in April. The next Laughs the Lounge is April 25th, and tickets for that will go on sale after these four shows in March. But what we're doing in March is a collaboration between myself and the owner and executive chef at Market, and it's called Cut Up, and we, uh, we're calling it Cut Up, the supper club and comedy venue, and it's a pop-up experience inside the lounge. There's going to be four shows, March 20th, 21st, 27th and 28th the last friday and set last two fridays and saturdays in march and so basically the ticket's 55 dollars uh which is uh, obviously a lot more than your typical 10 dollar last lounge ticket but mm-hmm. the ticket's 55 dollars but with that you get a four course meal which is uh, either crab cake or shrimp cocktail your choice of caesar salad or lobster bisque uh, prime rib with fingerling potatoes, Brussels sprouts, a cherry tort, and a cocktail, a craft cocktail from a list of cocktails, plus uh, the comedy show for the evening. So you're getting a four-course meal, a cocktail, and a comedy show for $55. And we're only seating a maximum of 50 people in that room for each of those four shows to give it a nice, intimate feel. And I'm I, uh, really excited about that. Yeah, that and sounds like a good deal. It is. I, I think it is too. Um, you know, because I mean, you'll end up spending shit. You go to a nice steakhouse, you want to get a four course meal, including dessert and a cocktail, you end up spending more than $55. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you're also getting a comedy show. And the first week uh, will be the first weekend uh, is headlined by Kevin Kellum. Second weekend is headlined by Ken Hamlet. Uh, the first weekend's features will be um, actually Michael Banks and Coffee Black. Uh, Darren Kujo, I mm-hmm. think you, you may know both of them. Yeah, I do. Um, and then the second week's features, one of them is Keith Evans, and I'm still in the process of getting the second feature, but it's just a three stand up set with myself hosting. You know, I'll probably do a cumulative 15 to 20. Uh, each of them will probably do about, do about 10. Your headliner will do about a half hour, but you're going to get an hour and 20 minute, hour and a half comedy show plus a four course meal and a cocktail for $55. And I think it's a good deal, and I think it's a, a really cool idea that I'm, I'm really proud of and really putting a lot of pressure on myself to do well at. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, can you uh, just run the dates by again real quick? Yes, for that, uh, again, so for Cut Up, the comedy venue and supper club pop-up experience, the dates for that are the 20th, 21st, 27th, and 28th of March. So the last two Friday and Saturdays. Okay, I'll put I'll put that in the show notes too. But uh, I I I always like to repeat things so that uh, because people always listen to the last thing that was said. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. Like I said, definitely tickets are on sale for that right now. 
they are they are selling. I think already a fifth of all tickets for all four shows have already been sold. So uh, if you're interested in doing that, you can check uh, out the Market Lounge on Facebook or the Market Events on Facebook, and you'll see it's called Cut Up. Uh, definitely get your tickets now because they will go they will go quickly. Yeah, that's that, that's a great idea, and uh, I wish you the best of luck on that. That uh, if that works out, that's going to be great for you. Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate it. It's been yeah. nice to talk to you, man. Yeah, um, just one just one last question. Um, I always like to get a little uh, nugget for the new comics out there. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started doing comedy? Um, don't trust bookers <laughs> that don't give exact dollar amounts uh-huh. for the fucking show, first <laughs> off. Uh Second, just that kind of goes along with the first one, know your worth, and you probably are critiquing yourself a lot harder than the people in the audience are. Mm-hmm. That's that's very sage advice. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, I, I hope that some people use it. Yeah. Well, Jeff, it's been great talking to you. Um, once again, this is uh, Jeff Webb from uh, Valparaiso, Indiana, and the shows he's been putting on is at the Market Lounge, and you can find that on Facebook and all the. Uh, he actually puts out real events for that, so they're easy to find. Just look under the events on Facebook, and uh, I'll put uh, links to your. Uh, um, uh, are you on Twitter, Instagram, all that? You know, I don't really use them that often. I probably should. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting back up again, and that's uh, uh, social media is just a pain in the ass. But uh, it just sucks. Yeah, (laughs) it just sucks. When you do a podcast, you got to do that stuff. So that's that's what I'm doing. But I really appreciate you being on and uh, some real good advice. Uh, so, folks, if you don't have a comedy club in your town, you can put on a show and it can work out for you just like Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you, friend.